Me and Kyle have like similar problems. Like I can't remember <laughs> names, and he just mispronounces names. Like Johnny, yeah, that's Jimmy. Johnny. Old Jimmy G. <laughs> it blew my mind again, all over again. You're like, I have Steelers. Well, Wilson's another guy where if Seattle's stupid enough to let him go, I was raving on Russell Wilson in our last episode. Call it now. Aaron Rodgers <laughs> going to Denver. They still got a. Uh... <laughs> Why do I always? Dude, I'm the worst at name. You need to be a top ten quarterback. Absolutely not. I mean, look at my Bears in 2006. When, when he remembers the year. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, 100. percent I remember that loss. Like it was yesterday. And this is where he's wrong. What you're wrong in and what I'm right in, by the way, everybody give me a hand for being right, um, is that... Welcome to Only Football with Kyle and Rick. This is... Welcome to the Only Football Podcast. Today we're doing something a little bit different. going to be introducing you to a Patriot fan. That's right, I'm going to be interviewing him. It's going to be cool. It's going to be casual. Ginger's already in the chat. Stay tuned. There we go. What's going on? Welcome to the Only Football Podcast. We got, wow, my phone ringing already. It's Adam Schefter status right now. We got Rusty with us. Rusty, first off, nice to meet you and thank you for being on this podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to to get to know you and ask you some questions. Um, so you're a Patriots fan, is that right? That's right, Kyle. Absolute uh, you know, honor and a pleasure uh, coming over, staying within the Star Six Media family. Um, some might know me from the uh, Slot Shot podcast, the hockey podcast, uh, and uh, very, uh, very honored to join you uh, from Radio Row, I can see, uh, yeah. this week for uh, Super Bowl coverage. So excited to be here. Don't mind the Brett Favre 91 draft tee. I got my, I got my Patriots uh, snowball <laughs> uh, commemorative up there um, inside the classic. home altar. So yeah, I'm a classic. You'll you'll learn that. You'll learn that. <laughs> yeah, I I found that the best spot to get like classic one of a kind stuff is eBay. I'm a big eBay guy when it comes to my football merch. Actually, this hat I'm wearing right now is uh from the Packers Broncos Super Bowl. Oh no shit! Well, that was yeah, a good one. Some, yeah, uh, some some lady had it in her garage and just it was her grandpa's and she sold it to me for like three dollars. <laughs> A lot of Hall of Famers in that game. That was that was a good game. Yeah, one of the greats, one of the greats. So let's talk in the beginning. So I always ask this to every fan that I meet, no matter what sport it is, because I know I have kind of a unique story. I was born in Wisconsin, and when you tell people you're a Packer, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna pack a lit together in the spirit of football. Like me and Rusty just met. And we were we were backstage before we went live, and he's like, I, "I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a lip in." And I'm like, "You know what, Rusty? 
I'm gonna throw in one too. So honestly, I'm just I'm I'm skipping dinner right now, and I'm I'm overdue. So it's gonna be a little grizzly wintergreen for dinner. Uh, little tonight. little nicotine to suppress the appetite, right? So, like I was saying, being raised in Wisconsin, it's like voodoo to not be a Packer fan, and I'm I'm a Broncos fan. So people always ask me like. How did that happen? Most people assume it's because of Peyton Manning. It's not. But we're not going to talk about my story. How did you become a Patriots fan? Fair question, right? Um, you know, I, I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, about seven miles west of Boston. Um, I grew up, um, you know, my, my dad's definitely a big sports fan, but uh, skews much more towards hockey. Um, I'm the first person in my family to play organized football. And I just, I just, I just loved it. Like as like about a five or six year old, I just said, dad, I want to play football. He grabbed the ball to go chuck it in the backyard. I said, no, I want to play real football. And um, God bless him. And God bless my parents for supporting it. But they got me into Pop Warner, you know, the next, um, the next August. And it was really kind of a, a love affair with the sport ever since. So I, I played from the earliest year I was able to start Pop Warner aged about six all the way through the end of high school when they realized, you know, a slow fat Jew is not a great uh, college football <laughs> middle linebacker. So, yeah, now that you mention it, I don't think I, I know any slow fat Jews in the NFL. <laughs> um, so, what, how old were you about when you, when you started your Pop Warner? Cause I remember when I was starting Pop Warner, um, there was leagues. It was, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Tiny Mite. Mighty my junior peewee, peewee, junior midget, midget. So it's it, like, yeah, it, it, it varies depending on like what state and what program you're in. Um, for me in Massachusetts, we had like a squad, B squad, C squad, D squad, E squad, okay. um, working backwards from like um, 13, basically, um, like right up until high school. And it was all based on weight limits. Um, so E squad was yeah you know, again I, I think everybody everybody in E squad was maybe seven years old I think I was six years old based on my birthday like a late summer birthday but I, I've been playing hockey or I played football from age six to eight, you know seventeen yeah I was uh, it was like a you had to be seventy pounds to play pee wee and all my friends were in the pee wee league and I had to do junior pee wee because I was like sixty nine pounds which is a good good number right to land on but not good to play with your friends so i was kind of humiliated i had to go play with all the kids a grade lower but man those are good times those dude are good flip, times. Side, flip side i was fighting the option to play higher uh because i was a fat little fuck coming off of uh <laughs> and you were just learning too vacation and everything and i used to have to cut weight like a wrestler like as a six seven eight nine year old i'd be running laps in a trash bag before the weigh-in um, before the season starts, eating nothing but carrots and jello for days before the weigh-ins to get underweight. So, you know, I was it's one like of the UFC. shorter guys. Yeah, I was one of the shorter guys on the team, but always right up against the weight limit. Um, things have slightly changed, but not all that much since. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, my introduction to really being a diehard football fan. Uh, we'll get into kind of the Patriots, you know, the, the, the fanhood becoming fluent in NFL football and understanding how things go. Um, which obviously evolved, but uh, yeah, it's been a love affair since I was that old, and that was right around the time of the Packers Patriots Super Bowl, ironically enough, with the Brett Favre tee on. So, yeah, that is that is pretty ironic. So, um, do you care to 
explain that really quick? How you became a, a Pats fan? No, it's just, no, it's just hometown team. So it's not that, you know, it's not that glorious. Hometown team. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So hometown team, you're, when you were playing Pee Wee, who is the quarterback? Was it Drew, Drew Bledsoe? Correct. Okay. So that kind of leads me to my second question, which I put Tom Boy, because you were a boy still when Tom Brady took over. Um, do you, your earliest memories of Tom Brady, did you know that he was going to be as great as he was when you were watching him? Maybe his first, second year, you were like, we're in, we got a good one. Or was it like he won his fourth Super Bowl and you're like, okay. This is this guy's different. Like, when did you know Tom Brady was Tom Brady? So it's a great question. It's a great question for any Patriots fan, anybody that's being really fair and honest. Um, you know, coming up, learning football, especially in my household, right? My dad's more of a Bruins fan, but he's also a Boston sports fan in the old sense of the term, right? Before my generation of championships, the fellowship of the miserable, right? That that's really what our culture is as a fanhood across all the sports. It just is. And we don't give away our loyalty easily. That's like a key regional like pillar of being a legit New England sports fan. Or at least it was until all these championships started coming in. So having said that, growing up in my house and being myself an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, nose guard, interior lineman early, eventually a linebacker in high school, but I was never much of a, I was never much into the pretty boys um, and, and the quarterbacks and all of this and that, um, you know, Bledsoe was the man and he was like part of that kind of QB culture group of the nineties. You know, he wasn't quite Marino, but there was that kind of quarterbacks club thing. Right. I think they had a video game. They had TV shows. It was like the Bledsoe Marino Elway, um, some other guys that kind of sprinkled in there. And Bledsoe was like right on the fringe of that. He was a big deal. He was a really big deal. And so when Brady took over the, you know, there were portions of the following that were really quick to just jump on the Brady bandwagon and to love, you know, this adorable heartthrob. All the ladies loved him. Um, you know, so charismatic to be fair, right. At age 10, I didn't really, you know, I watched all the games and I was so fired up, but I didn't really understand schemes and all these details and nuances to our game football. But I was slow on the Brady adoption bandwagon, right? Like, I, I my favorite player was Richard Seymour um, on that 2001 team. Um, you know, I was all about all about the defense, all about the, just the physicality. Um, Laura Malloy, Laura Malloy was really my first. Uh, well, Curtis Martin was my first like little kid favorite player. That evolved to Laura Malloy as Curtis became a Jet. Um, and then, you know, uh, Richard Seymour was that first player that I got to do what he did. Right. When I watched Lauren yeah. Malloy, I was purely a spectator. When I watched Richard Seymour, I was like, I want to be like Richard Seymour. And, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And, and so, you know, in hindsight, and I go back and I watch a lot of the old games on YouTube, especially because the Patriots suck now. Um, but I, I watched all <laughs> these old games on YouTube and there's, it, it, it's, there's some delineation points when Brady started to really prove himself as a legit player. Right. And that is separate from my own appreciation for him. Um, and so I don't think I was really 
Tom Brady's the man, our man, like the absolute legend. I don't think until really the end of the three out of four early and even closer to after they won that fourth Super Bowl. He was really the best player on the team starting, I think, at the third Super Bowl team. I think that was when he was really standing out as the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah. Uh, but they were still a power running team. They were still really strong in all areas of, of the rest of the game. Um, and I always thought of him as kind of a complimentary piece. So, like, when you look at even that first run to the championship, you know, in that AFC championship game, uh, Jason Gilden came down on Brady's ankle and he had to leave the game. And a lot of people forget Drew Bledsoe actually threw the game-winning touchdown to send them to the Super Bowl. So even in that year, there was debate about was it going to be Drew or was it going to be Tom? And I wasn't really diehard in either direction. I was probably more of a Drew guy, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, you know, he had that great um, that great drive at the end of the game to bring the championship home that became really his calling card. But I don't think I was on the Brady bandwagon until – Late 04, maybe even 05 or 06, when he was really the guy. We were running a spread off hunt and everything went through him. Yeah, that's I kind of appreciate the honesty because there's probably a lot of people that would be like with a guy like Tom, like, yeah, I always knew. I always knew Tom Brady. And you mentioned some of the actually really quick. I just want to hit some of these comments. Ginger, he uh <laughs> Ginger's a Colts fan. He said, man, I really dislike the Patriots for obvious reasons, but I'll give him a shot. And then he goes, what's up, Rusty? Looks like Rusty's been blazing or burning cigs. My kind of guy already. Ginger's <laughs> <laughs> so, an awesome dude that's been following this channel really closely. But you mentioned the defense. And I think that's also one of the knocks on Tom Brady. Not a knock, but when you get into the Manning Versus Brady debates, a lot of the times it kind of always, well, Tom Brady had a top 10 uh, defense for a lot of those years, and Manning didn't. And the only time Manning did have a top 10 defense, he took his team to Super Bowls. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective as a fan that is like, yeah, Tom Brady, I didn't really know he was, I think you said, the straw stirring the pot. You were focused on the defense, and they did have a really good defense. You had uh, Ty Law. Right. Ty Law was a shutdown corner. He was kind of a big guy for a corner. He wasn't like a skinny, lengthy guy. I don't remember him that way. I remember him being kind of big. Very and, stout. Um, very stout. Ty's about 5'11, but always over 200. Um, in his prime, you know, he was playing at a at a mean lean, like sort of 200 pounds, physical, but great, like hip fluidity, and ultimately find enough speed to cover even even the fastest guys. But he really dominated in a phone booth, right? He dominated jamming at the line of scrimmage, reading the quarterback's eyes. And he was a really, really special. Um, he was great in man-to-man, -man, and I'm not downplaying that at all. But he was really special when they would go into zone coverages and he would rough up the receivers at the line. Um, uh, Ginger Ninja um, might, <laughs> might might appreciate you know, the Colts crying to the league and changing some of the rules there. But, you know, Ty was a, he was unbelievable there jamming people and he was really great at reading the quarterback's eyes afterwards. That's part of why Ginger Ninja might remember Ty Law caught as many Peyton Manning passes as Marvin Harrison did in uh, one, in one of those uh, AFC championship games. Off the top ropes, <laughs> off the top rope. So, oh, Teddy Bruschi too, though. Was Teddy Bruschi part of that group that you liked in the beginning or? Was that, did he come, I can't remember when he was drafted. 
Yeah, so Teddy was part of this thing all the way back to that Favre Super Bowl. So Teddy was drafted. He was really a, an outside edge rusher, if you can believe it, in college when he was at Arizona. Um, even at his height and size, it sounds crazy today thinking about it, right? A guy that's under six feet and not that freak athlete, but he was an edge guy. He came into New England, um, a really deep linebacking core, and kind of earned his spot and eventually rolled into that Mike linebacker position. But it was always him and Roman Pfeiffer um, on those three Super Bowl teams that were the, you know, they were calling the plays and quarterbacking the defense and making all the calls for the front seven. Um, and, you know, Brewski was definitely a big part of that, a hometown favorite. Um, you know, in hindsight, he's a little bit of like the teacher's pet, like the coach's buddy guy. Um, yeah. but absolute legend, a lot of big time plays and big time moments. Um, I definitely, I definitely love Teddy. If you didn't love Teddy at that time in New England, then you were out to lunch. Um, but I, I really like, I like the bigger hitters, right? I loved Lawyer. And then when Rodney came and Lawyer left, that was an emotional tear. But as soon as Rodney started playing every week, it was pretty quick for me to, appreciate the heavy hitting safety again in that era that position right the john lynch's the laura malloy the rodney harrison not ed reed because i think ed's style of play is a little different a little later oh well, just ed, the style ed, well ed's a little bit more right ed's most dangerous as that kind of free to? safety right and you yeah. don't know where he's going to be and he's reading the quarterback's eyes at the second level like palomalu Exactly. Paul Mall was like the next gen of that, right? So like Laura Malloy and Rodney were they're really front, almost like front seven safeties that that played on there was much a factor in the run game as they were in the pass game. And this was an era where the run game was a lot more influential than the pass compared to today. So right now, if Laura Malloy or Rodney Harrison came in the league through the draft, they'd probably end up playing Mike Linebacker the way that yeah. offense today. So you know, those are the kind of guys that I really gravitated to and Definitely love Teddy, but I was more into the bigger hits, uh, Lauren Malloy, Rodney Harrison types. Yeah, I mean, from what you explain about what you like, I could see why. I mean, it takes a, a man's man in that time to just from full speed. And I remember watching John Lynch, and he was actually later in his years, but in the 2005 AFC Championship divisional game against the Patriots, I remember watching. John Lynch just run straight up and just clock the running back. I forgot who it was. I don't think it was Corey Dillon, maybe. But um, I just – that physicality, you know, it's just different. Now the safeties, you see, they're a lot more elusive. They're – they got – I think they probably have better hands. Um, they're they're a little lengthy. Like we have Justin Simmons. He's like six foot three, but he, he – I player. mean, he's not Great skinny – yeah, great player, but totally different style. It's more yeah. like the length, right? You need a Justin Simmons to answer these new dynamic tight end athletes. At this time, your ideal tight end was like a Kyle Brady or like a, a Daniel Graham um, or, you know, a Frank Wycheck. You know, these guys were sort of tackle tackle tight ends, right? Um, so they were as much a part of the running game as they were the pass. And um, the evolution of the game, I'd say evolution, I'll just say um, – as years have gone by, the game's changed because I certainly like the older style than the current um, more so. But, um, yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah, the the 49ers actually are a pretty good example of that. I was watching the game against, I think it was Seattle, and I'm not a 49ers fan, but probably similar to the Brady love he got, I was on the Brock Purdy train. Um, I just loved the story. I was like, last pick, last round. But – I digress. George Kittle is a fantastic 
run blocker. Um, Iowa Hawkeye. Iowa Hawkeye. Most well-rounded tight end in the game today. Yeah, yeah. I I was watching that game, and I was like, I mean, even when they were playing, um, they play with Dallas in the divisional round. Micah Parsons, you would see, even when Kittle was going out, let's say he's running to the, a, a flat, he would go and chip Parsons. And then Parsons would get past that, and then he would get past the running back that's blocking and still make a play in the quarterback. And you're like, man, that ball that gets released right as Parsons is hitting him, if Kittle doesn't get a good chip on him off the line, the sack. that's a sack. That's yeah. a sack. And, yeah, you just see how good for the 49ers are at running the football. And I feel like George Kittle, he gets a lot of praise, but it's not really sexy. Run blocking is not sexy. So I just feel like it sometimes gets a little overlooked what he does. Um, but let's talk about Belichick. Because obviously Bill Belichick is considered amongst the greatest coaches of all time. You do have people that like to talk about Tom Brady. Was it Bill Belichick? Who who the hell's responsible for all the rings? It's a tough thing to to say because I feel like they both are responsible for the rings. And I and I don't like when you have to pick because sometimes both things can be right. It's not one or the other. Um, and the thing I get concerned about, and I'll read you something that Peter King wrote, who is well connected in the NFL. The thing that worries me just as a fan is that Bill Belichick, like you said, you said uh, you weren't using the word evolving, but what the game has turned into, I don't know if Belichick is kind of moving that direction because you saw, la I mean, they're trying to run the football. They're not really, that. when you think of offensive guys, and if you saw in the podcast, I've even mentioned it when the playoffs were going into the divisional round, Every single coach besides Sean McDermott for uh, McDermott from uh, the Bills, he was the only defensive coach out of everybody remaining. So I, I do think that it's trending in a way where you want to have an offensive guy uh, just because the offensive position is becoming really important. They're protecting the quarterback. There's more points being scored. You have to have that side of the ball figured out. And Bill Belichick, to me, seems like ever since Brady's left, he really doesn't. And you could say, well, Cam Newton, um, you know, uh, some people say Cam Newton didn't get a fair chance. Some people said he wasn't being used the right way. I actually, I didn't even have it in here to ask you about Cam Newton, but I'm just going to ask you before I get into this, what do you make of the Cam Newton one year thing? Like it's hard to evaluate what the Patriots are because every year it's like, what are they doing, man? Like you got Cam Newton, then you get Mac Jones and it's like, okay. And then, and then Mac Jones looked good last year and he's doing the gritty at the pro bowl. And you're like, maybe things are going to be okay. And then this year it's like, okay, we're, we're back to scratching heads. But what do you make of the Cam Newton thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was really uh it was a roller coaster of emotions, right? The Brady's departure and all of that. We don't need to get into all of it. Um, I'm sure we'll circle. I'm sure we'll circle back. Um, but as soon as Newton was signed, he was like the last guy left, right? So there was no plan when Brady departed. That's a huge mark on Belichick. Um, you know, it goes all the way back to the Garoppolo stuff and how that kind of, um, how that trans, uh, what's the word, transpired. Um, 
and the the friction between Belichick and Brady around planning for the quarterback position for the future and how can we bring this success from one quarterback to the next quarterback. And obviously Brady can continue to play until he's 45 years old, which I don't think anybody really expected myself included, certainly. So shame on Belichick for not having a plan at quarterback and pushing Tom out the door like he did, which is a fact. Um, having said that in the moment, like the announcement that Newton was coming to the Patriots, it was like, at that point, like we we had no one on the roster to play the position. So I was I was stoked that we had Cam Newton coming in only because like what he was going up against in that quarterback room. There was no quarterback room. Um, so as the season you know started and got going, there were moments of excitement. Um, you saw bursts of it. And I started to really get behind the idea of us being this kind of power running team that ran Newton a lot, that played good defense, that was well coached, um, that could really you know win in a different style of, of game, which I was into early. That very quickly was exposed because Newton just I mean, his mechanics suck and they just they couldn't run any bit of the offense that they'd run for the previous whatever it was, 20 seasons at that point. And it became just an absolute train wreck debacle that was honestly that year got at points was just as bad as this past season of Patriots offensive football. So there's where I'm at with Cam Newton. I don't want to spend necessarily much more time on it. Yeah, there, <laughs> there was a, it's funny that that even came up in the first place because uh, I turned, I uh, just bad, just to, to, to close the book on Newton. I turned on Cam Newton when he fumbled away a game in Buffalo. When uh, I forget what it was, it was something like a four point deficit chance to go win the game in Buffalo territory. And it was just a careless possession of the ball fumble that he had as a runner that blew the game, lost that game and the rest of the season turned into a 500 thing. So um, that's where I'm at with the Cam Newton moment. I don't want to call it an era because it was really one. It was really a moment in time. Yeah, it was but, like here and gone. But nobody was more excited than I was to hear that that Jones was announced a starter and Newton was released the following uh, the following August. Yeah, that that felt like the right decision, especially considering how Mac Jones played in the preseason. Like he he looks he looked good to me in the preseason. Right? And you kind of already know who Cam. As far as I'm concerned, and I'll close a chapter on this too, Cam Newton had his career destroyed by one single player in Super Bowl 50. And he was never the same. And you can go Is back. Vaughn, and- Vaughn or Demarcus? Vaughn Miller. Yeah. Uh, two strip sacks. I mean, he just, and that it was really that decision not to jump on that fumble. You know, I really think he never recovered from that. That was just career defining a, moment. Career defining career, moment. Exactly. And you see a lot of these players have those. Um, real quick to hit the chat. Uh, Jin just says uh, that was an elbow drop. You can tell the Colts Pats hate is real. And uh, Ginger bringing up something in the 05 season. He said McGinnis was a hoe pulling a fake injury at the goal line against us around 05. As a non, uh, as a non, as a non-member of the rivalry, are you familiar with that one, Kyle? Uh, I no, but I can imagine. Is that because you're out of timeouts, so you you fake the injury, or is it to slow the offense down? Yeah, so it was it was again that that peak, um, you know, Brady Manning era when they would play every regular season as uh, division winners, right? You know how the how the schedule works, and so those games basically became the de facto decider of who's going to have home field in the playoffs. Right. So no, whether it was week two or week 14, 
those games, both teams circled because they knew they were going to take care of business everywhere else. They every every player involved in that, every coach knew those games are going to decide which stadium the championship was played in. There's a big difference between the dome playing outdoors in Foxborough, Achillette in the playoffs, especially for Manning. I mean, for for both teams, really. And but Manning was like terrible in cold weather. And so, um, and so that specific game was was in the RCA Dome. Um, I want to say it was 04. It was the 04 season. Um, you know, Manning leading a drive down to win the game, something like a four-point lead, right? Which is the, the best – it's the best situation in football to me when an offense is down four with it. It's touchdown to win, right? Um, or you can't score a touchdown and you lose. It's, it's that – it's down to that final drive. And um, in this situation, McGinnis did fake an injury to slow things down. He was holding his leg, pretending he cramped or whatever. And then the final play of the game, they were at the one-yard line. The Colts were with that four-point deficit. And they hand off to Edger and James. Willie McGinnis comes flying off the edge, tackles him in the backfield, stuffs him at the one-yard line. Patriots win. And then McGinnis gets up and sprints down the field with a one in the air at full speed and reveals, obviously, that he's not injured. So it was a kind of an iconic moment of all of that, but it ended up leading to an AFC Championship game in Foxborough that the Pats won and went on to win their uh, third Super Bowl in four years. So I enjoyed that, uh, Ginger Ninja. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, and it's probably the reason that they charge a timeout now. And one other reminder, one other reminder on Willie McGinnis is that he, many forget he is the NFL's all-time leader in playoff sacks. Yeah, 16. yeah, that is something I wouldn't have won on an NFL trivia at all. <laughs> I would have, I would have probably said, uh, uh, God, probably the the Green Bay Reggie White. Reggie White or Bruce Smith or, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's Willie. Wow. All right. Well, this is what Peter King said. He said, um, I've started to wonder, and I emphasize started, whether Bill Belichick, who needs 21 wins to break Don Shula's all-time record for coaching victories, will get them in New England. King buried deep in his 10 things I think section. He followed up with more thoughts on the Patriots-Bills game last um, last season, and he said, I think Robert Kraft, who's 81, will enter his 30th year of the Patriots' ownership in 2023. He's not saying that they're going to uh, go into a rebuild deliberately, but he's been looking at the shit show on the Patriots' offensive staff, wondering why Belichick left the offense so wanting this year. And anyway, he said, I can't see anything weird happening this year, the one that just ended but I have my antenna up about the Patriots for 2023. So that kind of aligns pretty well with what I was thinking before I read this article. Um, Is this something, just the overall climate of uh, Patriots nation or whatever you guys call yourself, um, is this kind of the feel around what what you're feeling and hearing is that Belichick, there has to be results this year? Yeah, I mean, I've been a fire Belichick guy um, for a, a couple of years now. Um, wow. Over the course of the evolving dynasty, he started to suck up and control more and more and more power in the organization. So it started, you had Scott Pioli, who again is a really close friend of Bill. I think he's married to one of Bill's daughters. Um, you know, Scott Pioli was the guy basically playing GM 
Bill started to consolidate more and more of that power over the years. Um, and it got to the point where Bill's, you know, at, at least the last six, seven years is the head of football operations and everything goes through him. And something that's very interesting about the way that Bill Belichick runs the organization, it goes back to all of his roots and his experience on coaching staffs that spans over 40 years um, is, you know, he knows that the job of a head coach in the NFL is usually a very temporary one. And there's a lot of mistrust that's natural to that position when you're as well schooled in it as he is. So he's maintained a very kind of secretive culture around the team that I think is no surprise to any, you know, third party, but he's very secretive about his coaching staff, about coaching turnover, about responsibilities within the organization. Who's the offensive coordinator? Who's the defensive coordinator? Uh, where's the money really going? How much does Belichick make? How much does his make? son on staff? <laughs> who, ma who, ma who manages the cap? Who manages this? Who does the draft? Who's in charge of scouting? Does he listen to his scouts or does he end up overruling scouts and picking guys in the draft that he has a good connection with their college coach? And there's a track record there of a lot of mistakes that have really bit the roster in the ass. Um, and no decision has been bigger than the one to run Brady out of town. And so you, you put the totality of that all together and you look at the uh, really, you know, I say the performance of the football operation since Brady was driven out of it. And it's been nothing but average. Yeah. Drafting has been below average easily. And I still think Bill Belichick is the best in-game coach in the league. And I think that there's still a, a, a pretty decent margin there. But you look at the teams that are having consistent success, say for this past season and injuries and everything with McVay, but you got McVay. You get Kyle Shanahan playing in playing in uh, you know conference championships every year, and you look across the league. Andy Reid, right, another offensive minded guy, and and it, obviously Mahomes is a huge part of that. But my point is, this formula of you know um, Fuhrer Bill, like running the show, has been really a very average or below average operation. And this past season, the decision to use Patricia and Judge on offense, two guys that other teams are paying the salary for, um, who have no experience doing offense. I mean, it, it it's not a second guess because it, everybody was questioning it when it happened. And it ended up being just as bad as everybody expected. So that was a huge catastrophe. What gives me a little bit of hope right now, I do think Belichick's on the hot seat. My, my view of this has evolved a little bit in the last – few weeks but it's basically we just hired bill o'brien to play to be offensive coordinator and the idea is that bill o'brien will basically be, will basically be in charge of the offense the same way that mcdaniels was which means you know belichick he's not one of these coaches that puts his head in the play sheet um when the patriots have been successful he's had an effective defensive coordinator an effective offensive coordinator and he's been involved in helping and advising on all the critical situations around both sides of the ball in the absence of the, of that kind of leadership from the coaching staff, he's been spread too thin. And like a lot of the marginal things that the Patriots stood out for for so long because you had Brady and the offense, you had consistency. It allowed Belichick to spend his expertise on the margins. And as that evaporated, driving Brady out, Belichick's been spread too thin and they've been really sucking on the margins. They're a terrible special teams team last year. I think they had three punts blocked. They allowed three kicker punt return touchdowns um, and they lost games that they would have been in the playoffs despite this horrible offense. 
if they just had a reasonable operation around the coaching of it. So I'm hoping that adding Bill O'Brien to run the offense will allow Bill to get back into what he's so great at, which is managing the game, designing, designing the game plans and, um, and really focusing on those edge moments, you know, th- those little marginal things that we see every week in the NFL is the difference between winning and losing. Yeah. Wait, when you said, uh, Bill Belichick, as far as coaching, is one of the best in-game coaches of all time. Uh, I I don't yeah. remember what you – I was trying to find it while you were uh, explaining, but I, I couldn't find it. But you, I don't know. You probably will remember. There was a game against the Broncos. It was in Denver. Denver didn't have a quarterback. Uh, they were down a quarterback. They were going with, I think, a third stringer. And Belichick purposely had the long snapper – hit his own goalpost to do an intentional safety to punt the ball back to Denver and play field position. They got the ball back and scored and won the game. Do you, do you remember? I'm assuming. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Right off the goalpost. I remember that one. That was a Monday or a Sunday night game, primetime game. Yeah. I want to say it was the year 2006, something around there. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's a perfect example of when you have Brady, it allows Bill to do and think and operate in those little moments. Um, and so what we've seen since since Brady's been out of the organization is we've lost that edge, right? We've lost that ability to sort of weaponize Bill's specialties into these little nuances. And so that's a great example. And I think that goes back to all of it. I, I've seen so many. And the other thing, too, is growing up in New England, the time that I have as a fan of the Patriots, right? We've all become a little bit of like football snobs about what's good football, what's bad football, what's good coaching, what's bad coaching. And I watch these teams that have these awesome rosters and these elaborate offenses. And when it gets into crunch time, I still I still see stupid decisions happening all the time. For example, AFC Championship game, got to have it. Third and eight. Third and eight, Joe Burrow dropping back. And his coach, Zach, whatever his name is, Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. He's too buried in the playbook thinking about the pass routes. He's got freaking Chris Jones one-on-one with the tackle. And the, he just eats everybody alive and ruins the game and ends it. And so, number one, Brady was Wait. the best ever at knowing that and knowing how to manage things and get the ball out quickly. But also, Belichick would never let an offensive scheme and an offensive plan in a crunch time moment in game like that come down to saying, let's trust our right tackle to block Chris Jones one-on-one with our season on the line. He would never let that shit happen. That's why guys like Dwight Freeney and a lot of the other elite Hall of Fame players the Patriots had to get through, they never wrecked games. Um, and the reason they didn't is because of focusing yeah. on those and everything working That's together. Von Miller, uh, 2015 AFC championship game. That still came down to a chuck to Gronkowski in the back of the end zone that could have forced overtime, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. They, they were there at the very end of it, but that's I'd a close to recognizing thing. But you know, yeah. you you kind of get my point, right? Like there was a plan totally. there. Somebody was. You mentioned Kittle, right? Kittle chipping, um, whoever it was last week, right? And, and like that's a kind of those kinds of little marginal things they add up huge and. Um, that's been the weakness of the team since Brady left. And that, that's been why I've been down on Bill. But now moving forward, um, you know, I'm not the biggest guy about all these records and these lifetime achievement awards. I really just, I'm focused on championships and winning and, and that's what I care about. Um, so last year before the season, before all the coaching BS, 
any honest Patriots fan would tell you this entire season's about Mac Jones's development. Huge fail. F minus grade. This year, we're almost back to where we started. Now we have a real offensive coach. Now this year is all about Mac Jones's development and making the decision on whether or not to extend him on what's going to be an extremely costly franchise quarterback post rookie deal extension. And today, if you ask me, I'd say, no, don't pay Mac Jones. He hasn't proven it, but he hasn't really gotten a fair shot. So this year is a really critical year for Jones, for the offense, for Belichick. If this year's offense looks like last year's offense, Belichick could get fired. Yeah, that that's fair. And I, I just, the only thing I think is with all those intertwining things that you mentioned about his son, I mean, Belichick feels like a, more of a dictator. Like it doesn't seem like there's a healthy chain of command going on in New England at all. And I feel like however it ends, it's going to be really ugly. Um, and it's, we'll, we'll see what happens, how much power Bill really has with Robert Kraft getting older. It, it could be interesting. You, but you, Kyle, on the flip side of that, like waving a wand and looking through rose-colored glasses, I could see it not ending ugly. Like I could see O'Brien bringing some stability to offense. I could see some real legitimate conversations going on about Belichick's succession plan. I could see Jones taking a huge stride this year and eliminating some of the dysfunction. I could see this year being a 10-11 win team that has a competitive playoff game or two. And I could see them building something again so that Bill has an opportunity to, yeah, win 10-11 games the next two years, beat Shula, and leave the Patriots in a better position than he met them in. And that's something that legacy-wise he's always been very conscious of going from that Parcells thing. There's, he still has a little kink about him, about the way that Parcells left organizations where he really wants to be on the better side of that. Um, and there's still an opportunity to do that. I'm very, I'm, I don't want to say I'm very skeptical, but I'm naturally very skeptical. In this scenario, I kind of see it 50-50. It could just suck and, and, and fizzle out in a really negative way. Um, but I do see a light there where it's possible this is a competitive team that challenges Buffalo and, um, and, and, and you know, gets back near and around the AFC championship game uh, between now and the end of Belichick, which I think is, you know, in, in the best of, in the best of times, three years from now, something like that. Yeah. And uh, my, my brother owns a bar in Miami and he, uh, well, it's kind of like a saying that you could apply to anything in life, but you always want to leave something better than you found it. Like no matter what it is. Um, and I didn't realize that was so important to Bill. That kind of does change some of the dynamics. Bill, welcome to the podcast. I see you in the chat here. He actually said, unless you're the Steelers, they keep head coaches until they wear out. Mike Tomlin has never had, and then Ginger, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. That's impressive as hell. Very Don't impressive. Disagree with that. Don't disagree with that one, bad. Kudos to Tomlin, even though I think he's, he's – talk about in-game coaching and situational coaching and everything that I say is good about Bill in a lot of scenarios Tomlin's just in over his skis on that stuff not the tactician yeah. but his <laughs> My, you, you can't knock his consistency and that's a huge credit to him yeah and it's almost it's, it's a good and a bad thing I mean it's like pick your poison would you rather be 10 and you know 10 and 7 or 9 and 8 every year and win one Super Bowl every 20 years or have you know, like the Rams have like 10 terrible seasons and win a Super Bowl and just have these high peaks and these, you know, big falls. People say, I talked to Rick about it and he said, look, if we could just win one Super Bowl, I don't care if we're shit again. And I kind of used to say that too, but 
being a guy that hasn't been to the playoffs since Super Bowl 50, the longest team to ever miss the playoffs after winning a Super Bowl, I changed my mind. I would rather play even one playoff game. I'd rather have, you know, meaningful football in December and January. And that's something that Mike Tomlin's been able to do and Bill Belichick for the most part. And you said that you could see with your, with your wand that, there's a chance that the the Patriots could win 10 or 11 games next season. And you said a playoff game or two. I'm not trying to like make you say they're going to go to two, but I do think we have to address the Mac Jones. So Mac Jones, obviously a really good year, a really bad year. Um, he had a thousand passing yards less about, um, let's see, he had 2,997 and Kyle, year. Kyle, I'm not a big stats guy. I think waving a wand here to simplify things. Back to the wands. Um, good, good, good rookie year, right? Shit, second year. Yeah. So, but but I feel like does that mean something? Because I I kind of do like stats, but I don't like just stats. I like to see stats uh, and also combine them with. Um, you know, like who is the offensive coordinator? What kind of weapons did they have? Is there a reason for the digression? Or is this player not getting better? And um, across the board, this season was worse. No matter how you want to slice it up, it was worse in every statistical category. They, is, didn't, they, they didn't throw a fourth quarter touchdown pass until that Raider game. Yeah, and we know how that one ended. Your but that was like threw. that was like week that was like week sixteen or fifteen. I mean, that's it was insane. A, it was a disaster. It was ugly. So, what what do you uh, attribute Mac Jones's decline to? I guess is is what I'm saying. And do you wholeheartedly believe, or do you did you lose some confidence with what happened this year in his ability to continue to mature? Into I'm not saying he's going to be Tom Brady because nobody really will ever be that probably, but. Will he be a serviceable quarterback that can lead you to a Super Bowl? I feel like that's all that matters. Can this guy win a Super Bowl at some point? If he can, we'll keep him. Like Rick said, oh, get rid of Daniel Jones. He said that last year. And I said, well, hold on. Now, before you do that, you got to remember how terrible the quarterback carousel is. When you get on that thing, you realize that things aren't better on the other side. The grass isn't greener. The grass is greener where you water it. And Sometimes you just got to invest in what you have. What is your what what do you feel about Mac Jones and where's his ceiling moving forward? I'm glad you brought up Daniel Jones because you know who Daniel Jones, you know who was involved in Daniel Jones's regression year. Same Joe Same Judge. OC, Joe Judge. Who was a quarterback's coach last year, who has no experience running quarterbacks and nothing but a disaster. Right. So um do I believe I believe Mac Jones can be a franchise quarterback? I do. I'm not super confident in that. This year is really the prove it year. Um, but if you look at last year, it's just it's not that complicated. What's the title of the guy that usually runs the offense? Offensive coordinator. They ran and they didn't have an offensive coordinator title, and they didn't have anybody with offensive coordinator experience. And the result was an uncoordinated offense. You had receivers running in the same spot. You could even see it on the shitty broadcast, with the limited cameras. Don't get me started on the NFL and the cheapskates and the BS around the business. But you could see 
All right. Beyond the stupid attempted zone blocking running scheme that they never really implemented. They wasted weeks and weeks and weeks in preseason trying and failed. You could see receivers running their routes and the timing of their routes and the spacing of their routes. Two guys being in the same place on critical third and four, third and six. Got to have it plays in situations that win and lose games. And so some the way that Jones handled it was less than great. And it didn't necessarily reflect well on him. And it gives me some serious doubts. But ultimately, the lack of coordination of the offense is what I give the majority of the blame to. And this year, hopefully, um, you know, Bill O'Brien's leadership can um, can bring a coordinated offense together. And we can see Jones return to form and hopefully be better than he was as a rookie. Give them the confidence to commit to him and not go back into the quarterback carousel. Having said all that, this guy Hooker from Tennessee who tore his knee up, I like. I'd, I'd love to see the Pats take Hooker in the third or fourth round, something like that, um, or a player like that, so that there's a QB in waiting situation where you can develop a project piece and have a backup plan if things don't go well. So that, that's where I'm at with Jones. Yeah, and I don't know if you heard, but uh, a story came out. And uh, it, it was a real story. I hate saying story because it makes it sound like it could be real. It could be not. But Mac Jones was uh, calling around asking for help with with the offense. And apparently Belichick didn't didn't like that. And on one hand, being a person that just went through an entire season with Russell Wilson, having his own private quarterback coach and all of these other things that aren't necessary, I could see how, hey, let the outside be the outside. We're going to handle our business in the outside. Don't mix the worlds if we're, unless we're all going to sit at a table and talk together. So I understand that side of it. But at the same time, you can hardly get mad at a young quarterback that knows, hey, this is a broken system. My future's on the line. I'm going to be judged off of what I do this year. Like even myself, talking about his digression and saying his stats, people around the world are doing that. He, he wants – a fair shot at this, you know, it's probably his dream and he wants to do it and it wasn't working. And he knew from playing in Alabama with Nick Saban, what it takes probably to have a successful offense. And this isn't it. And he was trying to get help and Belichick didn't like that. Like what, what's your opinion on that? And uh, do you think that he was in the right trying to, you know, exercise some resources outside the building? Yeah, no. And, and, you know, Kyle, we had our first conversation today, right? So I don't know you extremely well, but I know that in my career away from podcasting, um, you know, I've got a network of people that are mentors and experienced people that I trust that I've been in the trenches with before that have contributed to my development. And if I'm struggling in a professional setting, you're damn right. I'm going to ask for advice and I'm going to go to really every reason I'm going to exhaust my resources to help my development and with the end goal of helping my current team and helping what I'm trying to do. So I thought of it in that sense. I didn't think of it as such a betrayal um, effort. And to me, it speaks to Jones's um, you know, commitment to really being the best player and the best teammate he can be. Yeah. One thing, one thing about Jones that I have unwavering confidence in is the guys in the room love him. His teammates really love him. His teammates are behind him. I think there were moments this year where he got into his fit, you know, his nickname. I don't know if you know this on a national level, but locally, you know, his nickname's McEnroe. Um, because he grew up playing tennis and he's got a little bit of that sort of fit and, you know, fit and fury um, to him. But I think at the end of the day, his intentions are true. Um, the practices, especially the NFL level, especially in a regime like Belichick's, 
that might be a major, major, major no-no. But I think it just speaks to the overall dysfunction, distrust, and lack of effectiveness on the offensive side of the Patriots last year that Jones deserves some, you know, he, he deserves some criticism for without a doubt. Um, however, I, I really ultimately go back to the football operation and there's only one person that's in charge of that and that's Bill Belichick. Um, so that, that's pretty much where I'm at on that whole episode. Um, but overall, I mean, it's, you know, the cards are on the table. This is the make it or break it season. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that here. We got Bill's comment. He said, my man, Kyle had my back, and he didn't even know me back then. Oh, he's not. So Bill's a Giants fan, so he loves when we bring up Daniel Jones, and he he's happy that I had Daniel Jones' back. Because we're living in a time, Bill and Rusty, where you see these quarterbacks get drafted in dysfunction. And and then they're supposed to produce. And then in two years, they draft another one. And it's not a coincidence to me that quarterbacks that get drafted in better scenarios are better. Right. Why was Denver, no matter who they drafted, they couldn't get it right for so long. You know, I mean, yes, they're probably picking the wrong guys. That's part of it. But there's another part of it where who knows what Mitch Trubisky would have been if he was drafted in uh, a better you know, Mike Tomlin, look at, um, uh, God, I'm drawing a blank, um, quarterback for the Steelers right now. Pick it. Can he pick it? Can he pick it? Thank you. Um, look at, I mean, it's not, it's not flashy, but if you watch the, the Thursday night game that happened at the end of this, I think it was the last week of the season when he led his team on a touchdown drive to close the game. You saw that and you're like, this is a guy that can lead his team in the future. I have all my faith in Kenny Pickett and look at that drafted to a functional organization. And some of these guys, I just don't think they get a fair shot. And it's, you know, it's like the butterfly effect. It's really interesting to me to see like, Hey, maybe in another time in another place in another uniform, you would have been somebody special and never and, got that chance. And I'm so glad you haven't used the Z word uh, so far as we've been talking about Mac Jones's future, because I think there are a lot of fake football fans that don't really get it that that oh really, yeah that really went <laughs> that, that, that really went nuts about oh mac jones sucks mac jones blah, blah, blah. but you mentioned right when you when you th like when you pick a quarterback and you start to move in that direction and then you bail it it's more often than not almost every time you spiral into this into this musical chairs of quarterbacks coaches quarterbacks coaches coordinators quarterbacks coaches and it's a disaster and so, you know, as a Patriots fan, right, we've had just the most ridiculous run ever that'll never be replicated. And so we don't have a point of reference for that, but I try to stay pretty grounded. I try to look around the league, um, especially in this post-Brady era where we really are just one out of 32 again. Um, you know, let's not be so quick to shit on Mac Jones. Let's give him a chance with an operational offense. Let's see what it looks like this year. If he falls on his face and – you know, he's short arming throws to the sideline, getting pick six. He's not figuring out how to take a sack and punt. He's fumbling. He's being careless of the ball. He's making the wrong reads. Um, you know, if, if that starts to happen, then all right, he's not the guy. We can move on. Let's not give him the farm in a contract because that's what it's going to cost to take him. However, let's give him, let's do everything in our power to make him successful because we don't want to be one of those teams looking for a quarterback in the draft every year because you could be, you could be looking for decades. Yeah, and there's only a handful. And honestly, it, depending on what year you are, some of them get a little overrated just because there's not many options. 
And like, I, I don't think Bryce Young is going to develop into a good quarterback because we've seen small guys take that role as a quarterback. But Bryce Young is like a toothpick, extremely skinny, really small. I don't think he's going to be able to stay healthy, but that's that's a whole nother sidebar. And I think overall, though, just as an outsider that just met you, Rusty, I think that you're looking at all this like extremely well. Not that that means anything coming from me, but I just think like, I can't either if somebody wanted to debate you on anything you said, I think they would be uh, hard pressed to to argue with anything that you said, because you, you got your heart into it. But you're also really logical about everything you said. And let's extend that to the cornerback position, because the Patriots might have to address this. Right. They uh, they're going to have some free free agents happening this season, primarily Jonathan Jones. Um, him coming back makes sense. But. If he wants to be paid like a true number one corner, I don't think it does. But he's definitely a piece that the Patriots can build off of if they can settle at the right dollar amount. And I put a list of the cornerbacks that are going to be free agents. James Bradbury came to mind from Philadelphia. He's the only player that earned a second team all pro on this list. He had three picks in over a thousand snaps. I know you don't like stats, but he uh, he allowed a 46% completion percentage, which was fourth best in the league. Um, and then there's some other names, Cam Sutton from Pittsburgh, uh, Jay Muldean from Tampa, Patrick Peterson is one. He's a little older, but you saw that he still got ball left in him and he could lead a young group potentially. I thought he looked good in Minnesota especially how bad that defense was. I thought he was actually one of the bright spots and I know he's old, but he had a good season. Um, Jonathan Jones is actually on this list because he's a free agent. What do you think that, do you think it's more of a draft thing? Do you think they need to go out and get one of these free agents like a James Bradley or, or a Bradbury or a, a Patrick Peterson? What do you think that they have to do because their cornerback room's in trouble? I think it's a good point. Um, their their cornerback room is not strong. Um, there are a lot of needs on the team right now, and the offseason's young. Um, but if going a little bit back in the you know kind of time portal, and we talked a little bit about how the games changed over the years, but those early teams, right, anchored by Ty Law. Ty Law ended up being hurt on that third Super Bowl. He didn't play in that postseason. They had to scrap things together, but they had a really, really experienced group, and obviously they had – that guy wearing number 12 that, uh, you know, is Superman. Um, then the Patriots went to, you know, two championships, 07 and 11, and played in a number of AFC championship games where they were bested. And, and they went a 10-year span without winning a championship. And the one of the big hallmarks of those teams is they never had the guy at corner. Went out and got a keep to leave, and that was almost good enough. I still have a huge problem with that Broncos championship game when they allowed Peyton Manning's noodle arm at that point in his career and they didn't jam receivers at the point of at the line of scrimmage because, and they allowed him to, to fire it off underneath. That's one of my – I don't want to even go down that rabbit hole, but my point is they got back into the championship mold when they brought in Revis, who's not my favorite person but was a hell of a player. And, you know, that season started to kind of re-anchor them. They went on to win three championships in five years, and it's not because Revis was a cornerstone of all of that – but it was a dedication to understanding the balance of the team and having a balanced roster and having a balanced team. And so when I look at the current court cornerback room, you know, Jonathan Jones is a really good piece. He's really fast. He had, obviously he had uh, um, the injury season. He missed the you know, whole year last year and then came back or sorry, two years ago. 
um, was back this year and forced into some scenarios and some matchups that just didn't play well to him. I think he's really good. I think he's a great um, slot guy. He's proven you know, that slot position is really difficult and tough. And, you know, because the guys can go inside, outside. There's no boundary to guard against. Um, my, my opinion is still evolving about whether or not in the moving forward NFL that you need a shutdown corner. Frankly, I'm not sure shutdown corners exist anymore. Uh, Jalen, Jalen Ramsey. Well, well, let me just, let me just get, get the point out. Like I love Sertan, right. And I love Humphrey. Um, and, and there are a handful of guys that are really great, but like these wide receivers and like the passing game and the way that the, the offensive football has gone, you're going to play really good teams that have just ridiculous talent catching the ball. And so I think the answer is about pass rush. I think it's about pass rush and it's about scheme and not allowing quarterbacks to sit back there and throw it. And so I'm like, you asked about corners and like in this era, I I don't think a fix it move is bringing in a big money corner. Like I'd love to have Bradbury. Don't get me wrong. I think that'd be great and huge, but I think it's more about depth in the secondary. Um, There's some young corners we brought in that are promising Marcus Justice Jones has been, you know, he played a little bit of offense. He was great on special teams, returning kicks. And he's shown a little bit of a spark again, smaller guy, not going to be that number one. There's another guy, Jack Jones that they brought in from Arizona state. He was like a third or fourth round pick former five-star recruit went to USC, got caught up in a botched. I don't I forget if it was armed robbery or if it was like passed out in the Taco Bell drive through thing, but he got kicked out of USC. He's got some character flaws, but he's been a really, I mean, he showed a lot of promise this year and kind of lost his way. So those are two young players that have some promise, but I agree. I, I think they're two to three healthy bodies at that cornerback position from being in a good spot. And if that means going to free agency, great, but I think it needs to be supplemented in the draft. And I also think that the, um, this pass rush needs to continue to be invested in with Judon and keeping Uche around and uh, continuing to kind of scheme up the pressure on quarterbacks because I think I think moving forward, nobody can cover these wideouts anymore. You need to get pressure on the quarterback. Okay. I I could agree with the – so you're just saying like, yeah, cornerback's cool and all, but if you can get a good pass rush, they won't have the time. And, and, and you're going to get beat once in a while no matter how shut down your corner is. You're just saying the pass rush is more important than having a shutdown corner. You're not yeah, saying I, that they don't really. Because we, we play Devontae Adams twice a year. But we also, with uh, with Sertan, went on like four-game stretches where it was like Sertan's given up one catch for 15 yards in the last four games. And you're like, well, if that's not shut down, I don't know what it is. I mean, um, but then he had that one game against the Panthers where DJ Moore, he had a bad game. He just had a bad game. And if and uh, that's why he was first team All-Pro. Um, I've seen firsthand – so like the, the the it's funny though because the Patriots like you mentioned you they don't really do cornerbacks like you you mentioned Taiwan and uh, you said Darrell Revis and um, Akib Talib but there's not like I think those are all journeymen right because none of those guys besides Akib no. Talib well Akib two, Talib, two two of the th- two of the three are Hall of Famers so I wouldn't say yeah yeah journeymen. I'm just saying like you didn't draft them they're not homemade right. Well, Ty yeah, Law was. Yeah. Ty Law was. But Ty Law was. Two, yeah. And Champ Bailey wasn't drafted to Denver, but he was traded for pretty yeah. early in his career. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, he's a Denver Bronco, and that's why he's in the Ring of Fame. But um, 
Denver is a place that's known for their cornerbacks because most of our life we've at least had one, right? We had Champ Bailey, and when that was over, there was the no-fly zone, and they've always had solid cornerbacks. Yeah, you had so Kareem like, and Chris Harris, right? Yeah, yeah that was Chris a good Harris unit. Jr. But, but you and, also always had, you always had Von Miller in the pressure too. And so those yeah, they're yeah. very complementary pieces, right? So that's extremely. all part of past defense. Yeah, extremely. I just – I was thinking maybe – that kind of goes into it, you know, like the expectation in Denver is that we're at least going to have one really good cornerback. Like, and it's just really fun to watch too. Like just, it's good television. Like when you got one corner, when Von Miller was playing, my eyes were locked on. I feel like everyone has one player that you really love that your eyes are just locked on to when the play's happening. And this year it, it, it's, uh, it's Patrick Sertan. Like he, he, it's, it's amazing to watch how quick he can, even when he gets beat, his ability to make up and just, you know, get back in and his length. And it, it's just, it's but really a, impressive. But that's a top five, top 10 pick, right? I mean, you got Sertan pretty high up there. Yeah, he he was really high up there. It was, we drafted him, the Cowboys were going to, and that's why the Cowboys got Micah Parsons. So it yeah. was really high up there. But yeah, yeah it's hard to get, it's hard to get uh, those guys. So let's move on to the running game. Okay. Because you guys did, I would say the highlight of your whole year from an outsider was the development of Ramondre Stevenson. Really quick, Ginger and Bill, just want to thank you guys for being in here, enjoying this. I'm going to hit some of these comments really quick. Ginger said, hey, Rusty, the fake football fans you're talking about with the Z word were mostly New England fans. Mass holes. That, that, is, that is true. Because I concur. I concur. <laughs> And then Bill said, but yeah, I jumped on the pretty wing to leave. Love the kid. Okay, so into the pretty conversation. They're saying he might be back in under a year getting a repair from the Texas Rangers doc. That would be good. I, I'm really curious. I'm going to be following that closely this offseason to see if they go with Purdy. I feel like he probably earned that. But Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing. And he says, to your point, Kyle, just look at Eli for a decade, even after winning Super Bowls, people were down on him. That is true. Like when you think of a Hall of Famer, a lot of people don't think of Eli Manning. And a lot of people would say why. And a lot of people would have answers. Like I feel like you can make kind of both sides. I, I never thought Eli Manning was an elite quarterback, but I felt like he got the job done. So why does it matter? You know, I mean, what, what's your take on that? Is Joe Flacco elite? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. But Joe Flacco was elite in two consecutive postseasons. Joe Flacco carried the Ravens right into Foxborough in 2011 and put the ball in Lee Evans' hands to win the game. They had a chance to tie it with a field goal and force overtime. But before that field goal attempt, he put the ball in Lee Evans' hands to win the game. And Lee Evans couldn't hold on to it. Sterling Moore, I think, stripped it away. And then Cundiff blew the kick, and the Patriots went on to lose to Eli Manning. But the next year – the next year, Flacco was perfect, and he won a championship with a championship-ready team. And so my point about all of that is <laughs> – I wanted to give a tip to my Ravens buddies about is Flacco elite. But it's it, 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 this goes back to our earlier point about that quarterback carousel. Um, and 
You know, I don't, Jones is never going to be Mahomes. He's never going to be an MVP guy. Um, but I do think he can be a functional operational quarterback. And I, and, and I believe that with a team around him, just like Eli, Eli had good teams around him. They had that great defensive front. Um, you know, they had a balanced uh, run pass game. Um, they had a lot of good players in that roster and, and it was a well-coached team. Same with those Ravens teams. So my point is let's go with that model. Let's try to have a good one to 53. I think Jones is good enough to win, but we'll see it this year. Yeah, after after you said that uh, that catch that was dropped, I was going to say the worst play of my life was the 2012 AFC Divisional Round in Denver when Joe Flacco, third and 14, backed up. Oh we have God. a seven-point lead. Jones. Jacoby Jones and the famous Joe Flacco, like going like this, and I I was that was the only the one and only year that I didn't watch any more postseason football. I was that like. That one hurt. Like to I respect day. the burn. I respect the spite. I respect the spite. Yeah, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. In in a weird way, you feel better. <laughs> You're like, well, we lost probably hail mary to the Super Bowl winning. Hey, we'll be we'll be in the Super Bowl next year. That's what that means. And to you me. got and there. We were. And you got there, right? Yeah, and got our asses completely kicked. Um. All right. So <laughs> let's talk about Ramondre Stevenson because Ramondre Stevenson was a really big deal this year. But it seemed like the rest of the Patriots' offense uh, wasn't playing up to his level. And I did get some stuff in here. Don't worry. It's not stats. <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, I'll just, I, it's not pulling up. It doesn't matter. Um, I just basically was going to talk about how Ramondre Stevenson um, had fewer than, uh, the Patriots had fewer than 100 rushing yards. Uh, more times than any other team. And Ramondre Stevenson had, okay, now it's pulling up. I was like, okay, the team. Okay. So Ramondre Stevenson was responsible for 27% of the Patriots yards. That's a significant amount. He uh, 279 carries that, I mean, that means nothing, but the Patriots went through a six game stretch. That's what I'm talking about in the middle of the season where they averaged fewer than four yards per carry. They didn't crack a hundred rushing yards as a team in nine, games they didn't block too well for stevenson who made 68.7 percent of his 1040 yards after contact and averaged 3.4 yards after contact which which you could look at this two ways one Ramondre stevenson has a very high ceiling a very high ceiling um if if they can do better but the thing is is no weapons no no real passing threat like you said the the mediocre zone scheme shit they were trying to do didn't work. And they just would stuff the box and stop Ramondre Stevenson. And he still got a thousand yards. And I think there's a difference between having a good running game and having a good running back. And I think right now you guys have a good running back. I concur. Um, you know, Stevenson, again, you mentioned some stats and honestly, I suck at fantasy. I came in last place and I get so much shit and any of my buddies that listen to this <laughs> might get some, you know, jokes in my, uh, problem, but you know, the running back position, right? So I, I, I don't want to shit on Ramondre because he's the man. He, he works his ass off. He had that crazy mental hiccup in that Raider game, but he plays so hard. Um, he runs so hard. He's a bull to bring down. He's got great ball skills, but Going back to like our conversation, it's all kind of a little bit circular and kind of tied into it. 
the game of football is changing year after year after year. The bell cow running back, the Eddie Georges, the Jamal Lewis's, the Clinton Portis's, like those guys don't exist anymore. You need uh, you need to have a couple of guys in the backfield that can run the ball. You need to have a couple of guys that can catch the ball. And going to your point, right, you have a good running back. You don't have a good running game. I'll take a good running game over a good running back 15 times out of 10. And I want the investment this offseason to be in the offensive line. And I want to get a running back off the scrap heap late in the draft. Guy I really like is this Ibrahim who played at Minnesota, who's projected to go like day two, or sorry, formerly known as day two, now known as day three, but like fourth, fifth, sixth round. Um, you know, that kind of guy that can spell Ramondre. Like I think Ramondre is going to be your money down short yardage guy. But the fact that he put up the numbers he put up and shared his share of the pie and the workload that he did, it speaks to all my prior points about an uncoordinated offense, but a bad plan. His yards after contact, they weren't even blocking well for him. So let's get a tackle in the first round of the draft. Let's look to free agency and trades to get another tackle. Um, like, like let's invest in this offensive operation so that we're setting up Ramondre Stevenson and whoever else we bring in, because I think Damian Harris has probably played his last snap as a Patriot, you know, really? the, 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 yeah, well, just cause contracts are up. And my opinion is if you give a running back a second contract, you're an idiot. Um, so I, like, I'm I, with you on that. It, well, it breaks my heart because Ramondre has given his blood and guts to this organization and he's going into a contract year and yeah, you know, I don't want to see him run ragged and get hurt in week 12 because he's on pace for another 300 carry season. So, you know, I don't want to necessarily, I'm not ready to re-sign him, you know, tomorrow and spend all this money on running back. That's not what you do, but let's spend on the running game and let's organize the running game. So that's where I'm at with all of that. And hats off to Ramondre. I think he's a tremendous player and the heart that he showed, you know, he just seems like a great guy. He's one of the guys I really root for. Yeah. When you said, he needs somebody you're looking for that balance. The, uh, the quick fast guy, the guy that catches I thought of Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott, you know, like you got Zeke who's going to be, and I think Ramondre Stevenson is playing better than Zeke. I don't think that's much of an argument, but the, the dual threat that they pose and, and uh, you saw the 49ers um, had that too, when they brought in Christian McCaffrey. So while we're talking about backfields and you're asking about the Patriots running game, my two big, it's really three things I need them to address in the running back room. We need a spell. We need a spell to Ramondre uh, that, that, that is a a, a slasher, right? A a guy that carries the ball. This Ibrahim from Minnesota kind of fits that mold. Um, A guy to just keep the running back fresh in the running game. We also need a fullback. We went away from the fullback this past year for no good reason. And obviously you just riddled off a million reasons and stats why that was a disaster. It was a disaster. Let's get a fullback. Let's get a a spell running back. And let's also get a pass catching back. Ramondre can do that, but it's not putting like, it's not the best use. There's a guy who played at Northwestern last name, Hull, um, who is, I just saw him in a couple of big 10 games here locally. You know, he's not super flashy. He's kind of like a Rex Burkhead type. You know, he's just, he he does a little no, 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 no. He's not like a big bruiser. Um, I say Burkhead because he's great in the passing game. I think he can run routes almost in the slot. You can come out and create personal. Uh, Darren Sproles. Somewhere between Sproles and, yeah, like, like you know, Sproles is just so elite. I don't want to say that this kid's going to be a Sproles, but right, right, something right. like that, right, where you can come out and – 
it, the game on offense, right? It's about the scheme, yeah, but it's about the personnel groupings. How many different looks? How multiple can you be when you break the huddle and you have the personnel and you get to the line of scrimmage? Allow Mac Jones to use his mind. That's supposed to be his best characteristic. Use his mind to decide, looking at this front, looking at these personnel matchups, do we want to run it down their throat because they're light and they have too many defensive backs on the field or 210-pound linebackers and we want to mash them up? Or are they too bulky? Do we want to get a running back on the outside in a matchup with a linebacker that we can exploit? Patriots always had those guys. Shane Vereen, you know, James White. Almost nobody's better than James White. James Danny, White Danny, Danny Woodhead, Kevin Falk. You know, they always had these guys, and they don't have that. So we need a pass catcher, we need a spell, and we need a fullback. That is so true. I It's something I didn't even think about, but – that Patriots have always been known for that. They've always been known for having a guy like that. They, they, the Patriots never had like a Tyree. Well, they had Randy Moss that one year when, when he threw no championships, no championships. Yeah. Yeah. 16 and 0 though. But what, when I think of like the new England Patriots, I think of a bunch of white slot receivers, to be honest, I think of, uh edelman i think of uh wes walker i think of um uh starts with the a i can't pronounce it right now amandula danny amandola playoff danny and 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 not even playing the race card right troy brown uh black dude but but played the exact same role he was brady's go-to guy in those early years Dion branch right those kinds of guys you know like a, a multi like it's having a diversity of skill sets and a diversity of options what made like the brady operation so effective was that it allowed brady to make the right decisions because he had so many options to go to he could exploit the mismatches and i'm not saying jones is brady but i think the path to success with a guy like jones that's not mahomes that's not burrow that's not fields that doesn't have this like dynamic you know like him factor it's got to be a dynamic brain factor that finds a mismatch that has uh like being multiple right they used to talk about being multiple and being able to get different matchups from your personnel groupings there's been none of that uh the last few years since brady left and i'm hoping that you know from the top of the organization right down to um you know mac jones making the calls and getting them in the right looks that that there's a return to that uh in offense in new england yeah, and uh, real quick, just to hit this chat. Bill said, uh, I had to be a Colts Bronco fan whenever we weren't playing them because Peyton was family. That just shows you how close the fan base is to Eli. So to 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 a Giants fan, Peyton was family. And I, I, I know that was reciprocal, too, for Colts and Broncos fans cheering for the Giants, especially when you saw Peyton – on the bus ride to the airport or whatever, after a game, if his son or uh, if his brother was playing Sunday night football, he would, he would like request the game so he could watch his brother play. And it's just cool. And if you saw our episode last week, we talked a little bit about um, the, the, the mother of um, the Kelsey, Kelsey mother flipping the coin that I think that would be really cool. Honestly, I I'm one of the people that bought into it because me and my brother are really close. I couldn't imagine playing with him in a Super Bowl. It's like a, a dream come true. And it's also like a super heartwarming story. But that is uh, – that was just – I just brought that up because of this comment, Bill. No, my brother's probably my best friend too. But if he and I were in a Super Bowl on opposite sides of the field, I think that we'd probably both get ejected. Yeah, <laughs> and you probably would both not want your mom to flip the coin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. 
So that was kind of my Patriot questions. Now I'm just going to, I don't have anything written down here, but I'm just going to ask you some, some questions about, about the league here, um, about the Super Bowl, And then we're also going into our NFL awards. Um, I'll start with that. So let's see, there's, there's coach of the year. There's rookie of the year. There's MVP. Let's just hit those three. So who, who's your, your coach of the year? Mine's Kyle Shanahan. I'll just put that out there. Sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, I think Shanahan, you know, he, he's, I mean, Purdy, right? Mr. Relevant. That's just purely unbelievable to be able to plug in a player at that position. And it, I mean, it's, it's like, it goes back to, and I think Kyle Shanahan, very good coach. And um, he's also, he, he, he loves himself. Nobody loves you. You want to know how good of a coach Kyle Shanahan is? Just ask him. Um, and so, and so I think that this like Purdy event sort of is reinforcing his belief that it's not the quarterback, it's the system. Um, but yeah, that's sort of a different tangent. I think he's a great candidate for that. I, I would probably give it to Dayball, um, because of the team overachieving, um, and the way that those guys played for him and what they got out of Joe, Daniel Jones. And I don't think anybody expected the Giants win more than six or seven games. And the fact that they were competitive all year, won a lot of close games. You know, obviously they got stomped by the Eagles three times, but I, I don't think that that bashes it. I, I would I would give it to Dayball for turning things around. And I, I just think he deserves a ton of credit for bringing a culture change that often doesn't yield results and being able to do both of those in his first year. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And so does the check. Bill, he's saying Shanahan with all those weapons, LOL, but it's not like you – don't already know my answer. Uh, dabble for 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 Bill, of course, as a Giants fan. It's not about the weapons to me because I had God, by the end of this, you're really gonna hate me because I know how much you you hate stats. But here's but, my other thing. While you're looking at the stats, my other thing too, like yeah. to Bill to Bill's point about Shanahan, like that's a sick roster. That's the best defense in the league, right? Yeah. So like I, I do think Shanahan deserves a ton of credit, but I when it comes to Coach of the year, I think it's always about kind of doing more with less unless there's some albatross team um, that just dominates, dominates, dominates. And um, I, I, I that, that's why I go Dayball there. It's because that roster is so strong. I think they've done such a good job in the whole organization in San Francisco. Um, but, you know, kudos to Shannon. I'd probably give him runner up, but I'd go Dayball there. Yeah, and, and this is what I wrote about the weapons. I This was uh, something I wrote like six weeks ago. It says San Francisco has weapons, but don't lose sight of this. The 49ers are 42-19 and 19 in games started by Jimmy Garoppolo, including the postseason. They're 9-29 and 29 when others like Trey Lance, Nick Mullen, C.J. Beathard, and Brand, uh, Brian Hoyer have started. So my point was kind of that, look, they have a lot of weapons, and I understand that, but Kyle Shanahan's ability to simplify the offense – for uh, not just Mr. Unlimited himself, but going into the season with the Trey Lance and the Jimmy Garoppolo and juggling that and getting Jimmy to stay and getting Lance to go out and then getting Jimmy to just come in and be happy to to play. And then with him going out and then Purdy comes in, it was just it's like, you know what? I, I think if it was almost any other quarterback besides Kyle Shanahan, this would fail. And that was my kind of reason for going that way. It was like, I, I understand. And I'm, I, I, I'm right there. Like if, if Dabble wins, I won't be like, Oh, Shanahan should have won. You know, Can it's I, just one of those where it's like, pick, pick whoever you want. 
so I respect the Shanahan pick, but let me just throw this one dagger in his back before we turn the turn the page on the topic. Yeah. <laughs> I think Kyle Shanahan's proven everything that he can prove um, up until his ability to win the big games. And I think the reason that his team struggle in the big games is because he's so obsessed with himself and he's so obsessed with his scheme and he's so obsessed with his play sheets and his offense and the elaborate things that they do. You get into crunch time and he's so buried in the play sheet that he loses track of core situations. You know, they were in that game. Um, they were in that game uh, against the Eagles, right? Down to um, Josh Johnson, right? And there's a situation there. I think it's a, a 14-7 game. There's a minute 40 left before half. And yes. they're they're about to get the ball. And Shanahan is stuck in his play sheet thinking about what kind of thing he's going to draw up so that Johnson can just drop the ball and let his players play and let his scheme be the genius. He's losing track of the big picture, which is what I think Belichick's so good at doing when he's got the right coaching structure around him, which is take a deep breath. We're in this game. We're down seven. Let's manage a clock. Let's get to halftime. And let's play the second half of football and stay alive. Instead, Shanahan's out there running a spread with a guy that hasn't gotten a single rep. He probably joined the team about four or five weeks ago. He's been on 15 different NFL teams over 12 years, right? He's not the guy. So let's just take a fucking deep breath and let's get to halftime. And let's let, let's let our league-leading defense keep us in the game. Give us a chance to maybe win on a mistake that the Eagles make. Like, coaches don't win games, they lose them, right? That's like an old Belichick maxim. And I think in that situation, he lost the game for his team. I'm not saying they would have beat the Eagles, but I'm saying the the, the formula, like the, the game script, once Purdy was done, the game script for them to win is figuring out a way to run the ball, hanging around on defense, and winning a big splash turnover play somewhere in the game. Doesn't have to be you and your genius offense, Kyle. And I just think he gets so caught up in that, and that's why they lose the big ones. And a lot of people forget he was the – OC on that Atlanta team that blew the 28 to three lead. Yeah. So again, just, he's got a lot of experience doing that. And um, so I like coach of the year. Great. Regular season. Great. But I think Kyle Shanahan's legacy will be his ability to either grow or not grow beyond what he is today, which is a very smart offensive coach. Well, I actually, well, first off, I totally agree with you because when I, we were live streaming that game, I said when the when the ball was being kicked off to the to the foreigner, it's like let's just get to halftime. We don't got to do anything. Like don't go out. It's Josh Johnson. Like you're not going to go down and drive and kick a field goal and feel good about yourself. You will feel good about yourself if you get to halftime and you're down seven. That's how you can feel good about yourself. And last week when they played the Cowboys, they got the ball in that same scenario, and they decided to run the clock all the way out. And then convert, try to convert the third down. So if they didn't get it, they would give the Cowboys no time to get a drive of their own. So they're conservative with Brock Purdy the week before, but then with Josh Johnson, they're going to let it all air out. I don't get it. I, I didn't understand it either. But I will say to the system stuff, Kyle Shanahan, I think that's why Brock Purdy thrives so much is because it's hard to get Trey Lance to just do the system stuff when he wants to make plays with his leg and do – you know, extend the plays. Now it's like, okay, so the play Stay on work. schedule, right? Stay on yeah. schedule, they say, right? The timing of the scheme and all the bullshit, right? Yeah. So I, I think I think Brock Purdy was perfect for that because he was like, look, I'm a young guy. I'm just going to do whatever you tell me to do. And it showed like Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing. But I do think you have to have those moments where you, 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 you're not a robot, right? You have to have a human side of you that's like, okay, let's think about this practically. 
And, and yeah, you're right. He didn't have the ability to do that in, in a big game. And it was really shocking because I just watched him do it the week before. Um, and then Bill said, he said, I do see those points. They're valid on Shanahan. Coaches don't win games. They lose them. Not mm-hmm. running beast mode in the Super Bowl against the Malcolm uh, the, Butler. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. That is a uh, wow. I, I I didn't even realize you're Patriots fan. So I mean, you must love that. But man, we could go in a whole thing about that. I <laughs> let's go to the uh, the offensive player of the year. So not the MVP, just offensive player of the year. I think it's got to be Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. N- n- not yeah. much more to say. I mean, I agree. MVP. MVP. I mean, I got Jalen Hurts. Just put that out there. Yeah, my my problem with with choosing Hurts is they didn't play every game. Um, so I know, but I don't. Yeah. Think it, it no, I mean, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a valid pick. To be honest, I'm not big on these kinds of regular season award stuff. Um, I, I'll just say Mahomes to be opposite, and that sets up a Super Bowl conversation, perhaps. Yeah, no, it it does. And it's funny because before because me and Rick, we always say like we're we're not gonna we're not gonna be like we're not sports center, we're not ESPN. We don't set up anything, we just argue with each other or we agree. I would say ninety percent of the time me and Rick agree. And uh we don't like purposely take opposite sides or anything like that. But this is one we naturally disagreed on. He was like, No, Mahomes, the numbers and that. I was like, you just can't underestimate what Jalen Hurts has done. Like, Sirianni is not the guy that has transformed the culture of the Eagles. It's Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts – I don't – well – Even Sirianni uh, agrees. I mean, they asked him about that. Like, he said in the NFC – He's a leader. He's a leader, right? And and he leads. But he said he's just along for the ride. That's what Sirianni said. He's like, look, these guys are amazing. I'm just kind of along for the ride. And I I really think – when you look at Jalen Hurts, I I thought he was slept on in the offseason. Yeah. That's why I, I picked in our preseason. I said the Eagles are going to be very good, and Jalen Hurts will be an MVP candidate. And everyone was shocked, and I don't know why, because the media wasn't covering him like they cover Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. Yeah, I did I did actually catch your guys' media debate about the media coverage and this and that. And you know, I, I it I think it's just a it's a difference, I think, in how we kind of cover and think about the league. I just it's like MVP. It's like, you know, who's a player that their team would have been most screwed without? You had that great drive from Chad Henney when Mahomes hurt his ankle that says, oh, you know, maybe they could have been the Brock Purdy's, right, if Mahomes went down. Yeah, um, but <laughs> that's true. But, like, realistically speaking, like, um, you know, I, I think I think it, it's kind of splitting hairs, and I'm just – I'm not that into it because you look at MVPs and – most MVPs end up losing the Super Bowl or, or losing at some point along the way. There were a million years when Peyton Manning was the MVP. I'm not going to fight you on that. But who do I want in the big spot? Is I want the team and I, and you know the, the the other alternatives that end up breaking through. So it, I think it's just a kind of a difference in in, in how we look at this. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of passion to debate on MVP to be honest with you. Well, Bill makes up a good point. He said most important to the team, Tua, <laughs> because without him. The collapse, they collapse, but I get you as well as mentioned that I, I think there could be a lot of people that are up, but I do think as far as like the league's concerned, usually the, the guy that wins it, if you don't win a playoff game, you have to be a number one seed or something of that nature. Um, 
but I, I agree with that. Most valuable to their team is, is what the, what the, the award should be. It shouldn't be the most popular. It should be like, Hey, what's the domino that if that falls, the whole franchise is screwed. And to me, and my I thing, I, I, I get your point with, with, with Hertz, right? He took them yeah. from being what would probably be a 10 and seven, nine and eight team. Yeah. And Minshew to being the wagon three. that they've been to being the wagon that they've been. But with Mahomes, it's like, well, they stripped away Terry kill. So now he's got this diversity of options. I was talking about the Brady years where you had a lot of guys that could do a little thing, but none of them were the big studs. He's got Kelsey, which it still shocks me. No teams decide to shut down Travis Kelsey. I don't get that. But like, I just think he did. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, his performances consistently and uh, just like doing more with less this year. Because um, I, I just think I think the world of what Tyreek Hill does on the football field. I want to stress that on the football field um, is just he's so dynamic. And you strip that away from everything they've known there and the fact that they were still con- able to be successful. I think it all goes back to Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, I think you can make an argument CMC de- deserves uh, t- to be in the conversation. I think the Niners were, um, what were they, three and four or four and three when when he got traded and they never lost until last Sunday. And they were definitely a totally different team. That was the trade of the year. That was one of those trades where you look at it and you're like, what? They He got traded for a third and a, a couple of second-day picks. It was like, I- why? I've got, a, I've got a well because he's a running back and he's got a big contract. Uh, but I get it; he's kind of more like an everything guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's more like Debo he's Samuel different. than he is like Ramondre Stevenson, right? Yeah. Um, but um, no, I, I, I had a thought there, but I lost it. <laughs> well, I, it'll probably come back because I'm going to ask you now. We talked about them too. Who do you have winning the Super Bowl? I'm gonna, I'm gonna reserve my pick for, uh, for Rick. Um, I know he would hate it if I told everybody without sure. Amir, but I would love to hear what you have to say about this game that I think is going to be, I would say, a high-scoring Super Bowl if I had to to make a guess. So you're betting me over. Okay. Um, I, 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 I put a bet in today, Eagles by 14. And, by 14. Um, I think it's going to be a blowout. Um, I think the Eagles are going to be – I think they're going to beat this shit out of Mahomes. Um, I just I don't think that that um, I don't think that that uh, Chiefs offensive line can hang with that uh, Philly front. Um, I think that Philly is going to be able to not let Travis Kelsey bail them out on every third and six, third and four. Um, I think that Mahomes is limited mobility with the ankle, and obviously he's still unbelievable. And like that's not like he's going to be bad, but. Like I've seen it, I've seen it with the best ever. Like when when Brady's in a position where the rest of the team's getting their asses kicked, like he can't save you. And I think that that's what's going to happen on Sunday. Um, I, I've got you know AJ Brown two touchdowns and an Eagles win. I don't think anybody in that um, in that uh, Chiefs secondary can cover him. Um, I think there's just too many one-on-one mismatches for the Eagles that the Chiefs don't have. Um, I think that the Eagles, even if things don't go great in the air, they can go back to the run. And I think that they can probably run on this front. I think the Eagles are going to be smart enough not to let Chris Jones wreck this game like the Bengals let him wreck the AFC championship. Um, and you know, I just think that the Eagles are going to apply pressure and be all over Mahomes in ways that are really going to suffocate that offense. And I look at the other side and have tremendous respect for Spagnola, but I just don't think they have the horses. And I really trust and believe 
in that uh, in that Eagles offensive line. Um, and and it's the offensive line getting Hurts involved in the run game, uh, the multitude of weapons, and then you combine that with the way that their defense gets after the quarterback. I just I see every edge, every edge but quarterback. I see Eagles, um, and I see uh, like uh, the healthiest we're going to have seen Jalen Hurts in a while. And this is the last game of the year, right? You're not saving it for anything. So getting him involved running, I just don't think that there's – I don't think that Kansas City is going to be able to stop the Eagles. And the Eagles are going to be beating the hell out of Patrick. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll I'll just add to some of the matchup stuff. The Eagles had the best passing defense in the league, and they're the only team that their front four has 10-plus sacks each player, which means they got a bunch of dogs up front that are going to be – Winning at the line of scrimmage, and then the on the Wet, left side, Cox, Riddick, their yeah. linebackers can run, their secondary can cover. I mean, that's tough. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's and then on the other side, the Chiefs' defense is historically bad right now. They're ranked last in red zone, thirty uh, first in passing yards. Like they are so bad defensively, but they pulled together two games in a row where they held their opponent to twenty points. That counts for something. Um, but I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Kyle. No, I was just gonna say that counts for something because uh, it's the Bengals, and uh, I do think they could have done some things better. But Jacksonville and the Bengals, 20 points, that that's not bad. But they're uh, they're about to play. I just think the Eagles are a different. Uh, I'm not trying to give my pick away, but I do think the Eagles are a different animal. Um, and look, I don't think that there's going to be much of a debate with this going forward with people. But you got it. I'll, I'll leave this one window open here is that you, you said it yourself. I think they have the edge in every single area besides the quarterback. Well, that counts for something, too, for the Chiefs. And I do think the guy that touches the ball every offensive play, um, we've seen people will themselves to victory. And we know the Chiefs can rise to the occasion. We've never seen Jalen Hurts play in a, in a Super Bowl. That's something that we haven't seen yet. Um, but, and those but, are, but, but so with Hertz, who's not played in the Super Bowl, but both rosters still have a lot of guys that have played in the Super Bowl, right? So I think there's a, there's sort of a shiny new, like being in the first Super Bowl and having a roster of guys that haven't been there is a huge disadvantage. It's a different game emotionally, the way it draws out, how long it is, how long halftime is. Halftime in the regular season and all the way through the championships is 12 minutes. Halftime in the Super Bowl is 40. Um, there's all kinds of fireworks inside the building. You come out to start the second half and it's hotter in the building than it was at the Smoky. end of the first half. No, 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 seriously. And like, these are real things and like fatigue factors in, you can be too hyped up and you can fade late. You know, there are a lot of kind of elements there on the margins. I just don't think we're going to get in there. And I, I also think that in key situations, I, I, I still don't have faith in Andy Reed. Um, I, I like, you know, he, he's obviously a tremendous, um, you know, offensive coach and all of that stuff. But the same things I was saying about Shanahan getting caught in his play sheet, I think, I think Reed falls for that too. And he's obviously got Mahomes to bail him out and to make the best out of everything. And that's a really dynamic duo. But, um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, Reed is going to get a little uh, sort of scheme happy when he needs a score. I think that's going to open up doors for guys getting more pressure because Reed doesn't want to leave an extra guy in to block because he's so excited about this exotic route combination that he drew up, you know, in the two weeks that they had to prepare. So that that's basically where I'm at. Yeah, and and Ginger, before I close out here, uh, I just want to thank you guys for being in here. And he says. 
so Ginger, real quick before I hit that, he says Chiefs by six. Um, and then he says everybody but quarterback, but you have Hurts as your MVP. I do think that you can have a lot of talented players on a team and it not translate into wins. Um, and I, I do think Jalen Hurts is kind of the walking coach's son cliche, uh, not overlooking opponent. They asked him when he was 7-0, how do you feel about being 7-0? He's like, no one loved us last year, so I don't want him to love us when we're 7-0. Seven, seven and he just, just has this, like, uncontentness with winning week in and week out. Next opponent, uh, he doesn't overlook anybody. All the stuff you want to see out of a quarterback, Jalen Hurts embodies. And I, I do think you can't put a price tag on that. And I think what the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, like they know who they are as an organization. They have dominated the NFL. The Eagles are kind of they – they've, dom- they, 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 they've dominated the AFC. They've dominated the AFC. That's that is fact. Uh, maybe not the NFL, but what Jalen Hurts did for the Eagles is, I think, something similar that that Mahomes did. Um, I mean, and we'll find out what happens here. But I, I just don't think just because Hurts has a better all around team and both teams are still in the Super Bowl, because I also don't even think the best team in the AFC made it to the Super Bowl. So, I mean. There's that. Um, so so I, I would much rather saw the Bengals in this game, to be honest. I, I've got a, I, I agree with you. I've got a great a quick shout out for Ginger Ninja. I mean, what a handle. I mean, that's just a great that's a great <laughs> alien. Ginger Ninja. It looks like he's a ginger himself. So I, I appreciate it. Um, now, to to his point, right, every edge of quarterback, but you have Hurts as your MVP. There's a difference between saying Hurts should win MVP and saying Hurts is a better player than Mahomes, right? MVP is not who's the best player. It's who was the most, you know, whatever, whatever, and it looks at their season retrospectively. So I think anybody who says any anybody at quarterbacks better than Mahomes is either very biased or an idiot. Um, and then, you know, the other point, too, on this, just to wrap it up, is you know, Kansas City had chances to choke out the Bengals, and they didn't, right? They gave Burrow chance after chance after chance to go win that game. They almost did. Um, they also – they let Jacksonville hang around, right, until they fumble yeah. flop, uh, in the down on the goal line. That could have been a really tight game. Those are both at home. Those are at Arrowhead. Now we're at a neutral site. you got a bigger, batter team that's deeper, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at there, Kyle. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Um, Rusty, it was really good to meet you. I, I, I hope we have you back on. I, I had a good time. Do you enjoy it? Likewise. Yeah, man. Um, great host. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I've enjoyed the podcast from uh, as I've listened uh, throughout the season. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, let's keep it in the Star Six family. We're uh, running the Slot Shot podcast, the hockey podcast. Um, and, and that's all been going very well. But uh, yeah, I'm available to you and to Rick. You know, whenever you guys need me, just let me know. If it works, it works. And I'd, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to come back on if you'll have me. Yeah, yeah, no, we definitely will. And uh, for you guys listening and people that are going to listen in the future once we end the live stream, follow us at, at Star Six Media. Go ahead and subscribe. Tell your friends about the channel, uh, your coworkers, your family. If you guys are enjoying it, maybe they'll enjoy it too. And you can follow me at Twitter at FTBL, O-N-L-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, only, or football only podcast. And then follow Rick at and now rick a-n-d-n-o-w-r-i-c-k you got a you got a twitter handle rusty 
<laughs> yeah, my Twitter handle is Rusty Pedroia. Um, <laughs> uh, Pedroia like Dustin Pedroia, P-E-D-R-O-I-A. Um, Rusty like Rusty. So at Rusty Pedroia, and you can find me on the uh, Slot Shot podcast and uh, within the Star Six Media family. I think it's all running on all the socials. So, all right, man. Well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure, and I'll see you next time. Likewise, buddy. Thanks. Uh, enjoy the yep. game. Absolutely. See ya.